Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. Hey, welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. Uh, Welcome back to the MedTech Talent Lab live edition of this podcast where we talk all things talent related within the MedTech industry. My name is Mitch Robbins. I'm the founder and a managing director of a search firm called the Anthony Michael Group. We help companies across the MedTech ecosystem with hiring, uh, whether it's regulatory affairs, quality clinical, uh, and a couple different other technical areas. I'm joined on the regular by uh, uh, Adam Sapi here at the organization and our good buddy, uh, Nick Twig, who is the director of talent acquisition for, I just drew a blank on the name of the company. That's okay. It's not important, Jen Mitch. It's, we're, we're all happy to be here. I can't believe I did that. And I say it every, uh, every week. Every week. In and out. But uh, nonetheless, guys, uh, aside from that snafu, uh, let's get into the topic. We are going to talk about the flip side of a conversation we've had many, many times. We've talked in the past about how do organizations figure out how to vet a candidate in the way that the candidate who shows up in the interview is actually the candidate who shows up for work on day one. And today, we are going to take basically turn that on its head and talk about the opposite. How do prospective candidates figure out if the prospective employer is who they say they are? And we're going to kind of give you some ideas as far as the due diligence that you can do and why this piece is so important. And Adam, if I can turn to you for a minute, you speak with so many candidates on on the regular. Can you share some of the exact feedback that you're getting when people feel like they got into a situation they didn't realize they were getting into? What, What is some of the feedback that you hear? So A1, by a long shot, is culture, right? Like, uh, hey, I joined this company. If they don't know somebody there. A lot of times, you know, a previous manager, VP, somebody else had recruited them there. That's a little bit easier. But if they're joining a brand new company and they joined in large part because of culture um, and they get there and it's not what it seems, that's a, gosh, that's a hard stop. People feel hurt by that. They feel like a bait and switch and they are very quickly out of there nine times out of 10. And they said, we have an unlimited PTO. I got there and then I tried to apply for four days off and they all said, no, you can't do that. And, you know, and and certain things or, you know, hey, you know, you promoted all this great collaborative work-life balance, everything else. We're working 70 hour weeks and everything that we talked about is now frowned upon. And I don't have the support system. And I, you know, they're, they're micromanaged me, micromanaging me or whatever the case is. I would say culture is by far the, the one I hear the most. Yeah. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Nick, what else, um, you know, have you, you've spoken with Candice, you know, over the years, what else have you heard? Yeah, I would have to agree with Adam. And um, going further, I find over the last five to 10 years, when we talk about that culture mismatch or not, aligning with what they thought, it often comes down to those values, the leadership behaviors, the sort of what the company says about its own culture. And I think a lot of times what happens is companies, you know, pay consultants to come in and do a lot of analysis to figure out what is our culture, what do we want our culture to be. Um, And I've been part of that process myself at a couple different companies and Usually about 80, 85% of it is accurate to who we are. And then there's 
you know, sung that is aspirational, right? What, who we want to become. And if we tell the world, this is what we want to become, we'll attract more of this, this type. But there's a lot of companies out there from what I hear talking to candidates that don't operationalize all of that work. So now we've clearly defined what our values are and that's it. They live on a website somewhere on their career page, but nobody thinks about them and bodies them or really behaves line with them. So you get to the, the company thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought these four things were the most important four things, and yet they're not showing up the way that you expected. And so I think as we're starting to move more back towards on-site interviews, not entirely, there's a little bit more opportunity to start to assess the culture of a company. I think one of the challenges and one of the reasons we're hearing this problem a lot more over the last couple of years is because of the virtual interviewing platform that may give you a strong sense in terms of the personality, the culture of the person you're speaking to, but not necessarily a sense of it, the organization as a whole. And so we are relying more heavily on that website the content we find online versus being able to absorb through osmosis or, or what have you during an on-site interview, walking to the bathroom or checking the snack room. I really think that having the opportunity to go on-site gives people a lot more um, acute understanding of what the culture is. And so don't hesitate. If your recruiter says, we're going to set up a virtual interview, know that you are Always welcome to ask the recruiter if there's an opportunity for you to go on site either for the interview or for a separate meeting. And I really think this is to your benefit to, to get a true sense of the culture and the energy level in the organization, the commute, right? If, if that's doable, if it is a hybrid or on-site job. Um, but I, I really think the pandemic has created this problem for us where we're just not able to assess over video. Uh, what the culture really is. I love that. That's very, yeah, that's spot on. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We've all walked through offices, I assume, you know, where it's very collaborative. It's a good buzz, yeah, good energy. People are are talking, not not in a distractive way, but helping each other out. They seem like they're in a good mood. They're waving to you as you walk through or introducing themselves or whatever. You see people having meetings going on. It seems like a productive one. That's like, hey, I want to join here. And we've also seen the ones where it's like everyone's hunched over, scared to do anything or, uh, you know, like just being micromanaged or, or whatever the case is. And you can you can really sense that in your first 30 seconds. And to your point, Nick, if you're seeing the video, just like on, you know, Hollywood, where they're they're promoting what they want you to see and then nothing outside of that, you know, the, the peripheral. So that's a good um, observation. I, I hadn't really drawn that conclusion yet that I think a lot of the cultural miss, you know, I, I guess misalignment is is probably due to the uh, to the remote remote piece of it. Yeah, in, I mean, uh, in, 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 yeah. 10 years ago when I was interviewing there, um, their interview rooms were all glass. So I could see everyone walking by and yeah. I could not help but notice everyone walking by was smiling. And wow. I know that sounds ridiculous, but that for me was a key indicator that this might be a place that I would enjoy working. That's cool. um, and you, you just don't have that. I mean, I guess suppose people could walk behind me to find me somewhere here doing a video interview, um, but everybody's, you know, blurring their background and whatnot. I think it's yeah. yep. Collegium Pharmaceuticals, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm about uh, three or four minutes behind, but <laughs> that is where Nick, my words, 
Nothing um, a Google search can't help. This you is with. our first right. Thursday show. We're we're getting used to the new day and time. Yes, great great point, Adam. I'll call that out uh, at the end of the show too. But you know, it's interesting what you guys were what you said, Nick, about hey, never feel like you can't go on site if they're hosting video interviews virtually. And we've always been on the side of pressing for a very streamlined process. How quickly can we get somebody through the process? Not necessarily taking into account that while that may be an added step, it's probably a hugely beneficial step for both parties, especially if a lot of the organization is working in the office. Even if your position is mostly remote or it's a hybrid, um, you know, it's one thing if the whole company is virtual and everybody works remote. It's another thing if there is a corporation headquarters where, you know, the majority of the culture is, is built. Guys, let's get into what we promised today, which is ideas for uh, folks to ways that they can do their due diligence to properly vet the employer. And I guess I'll kick this off. I think one of the actually one of the great ways that you can is people who used to work there that no longer work there. Connect with them on LinkedIn. You know, um, I always say you got to give some value and warm somebody up, but you can also ask directly. Hey, look, I'm, I'm really excited about XYZ company. I'm in the, about to start interviewing there. Or I'm in the thick of the process. I would really appreciate 10 minutes of your time. Can I, you know, buy you a virtual coffee and send you a gift card for you? Whatever it is, right? Yeah. To have those yep. conversations that get their honest perspective. What do you guys think? Oh, that's probably agree. the best way to do it. Yep. Yeah. And what I would say that's much better than uh, going to, and I'm saying this because Glass it's- door. Thank you, Adam. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, I'll say it. Only the HR folks and people that are very angry go there. So you don't get an accurate yeah. view whatsoever. In my opinion, at, at that particular site, you get the, the polar extremes. But I, I think the people, especially people you trust that you know, that is the best thing that you could possibly do. Just go on LinkedIn, type in the company, click on people, and it will show you all of the connections that you have that either work there now or had worked there in the past. Um, so easily find out who might be a resource for you. Yep. Hey, what'd you like there? Why did you leave? Tell me the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, lay it out. And, and they might've had a different experience too. And take that with a grain of salt too. I was there seven years ago. We've had, you know, they've had a whole turnover in leadership and they've had this, this, and this, and three mergers and acquisitions since then. So they went from a, a company of 40 people and now they're a large multi-billion dollar strategic or something to, you know, recognize that. But yeah, I think people that work there currently or have worked there are your first, your first lifeline for sure. You know, the other thing um, that I would say that I think a lot of people are afraid to do, or they, they don't necessarily admit it out loud that they're afraid, but I think something prevents them from doing this is asking the really tough questions of the hiring manager. And I'll give you an example of a question. Tell me about a time that you had a conflict with one of your staff. What was it? What happened? How'd you handle it? Or, hey, everybody asks, what's your leadership style? And, and there's very, very canned answers for that. How would you, if I was to ask your team, the rest of the colleagues, you know, that work for you, how would they describe your leadership? And then you ask the team the exact yep. same question in a different meeting and see how so terrible the answers are, right? Yep. Because that's going to draw up some flags right there if it's vastly different. Or if it's yep. fairly similar, you'd be like, okay, you know what? I'm dealing with something that's pretty legitimate here. Yep. What other, go on that, guys. What other questions would you recommend that we ask that maybe people don't feel like either they should or that they feel uncomfortable asking, but they really need to? Well, first, I got to call out, Mitch, that you did 
exactly what I wanted you to do, which was you asked it in a behavioral interview format, right? And it's important because past performance will predict your performance. Yep. Same thing about a company and their culture, right? So I love that you did that, um, was to, to ask, and I would personally pick my favorite value, the one I identified with the most and say, you know, I'm giving an example of how collaborative uh, shows awesome. up in, in yes. your meetings, your teaching. But I love that you asked it in that way because I think you really holds either the hiring manager, the interviewer's feet to the flames to, to give specific examples. And that's how you can predict, yes, this is going to show up more often. So I think that one's a good one. The other thing is you could ask, you know, of the values that you have, which would you say you know, is the most aspirational and which are the most sort of obvious uh, on a day-to-day -day basis do you see showing up on, you know, in the lunchroom, in your meetings, in your uh, all-employee meetings, right? So then you can kind of get a sense in terms of who are we and who are we trying to become? Love it. And how are we getting there if they are aspirational? Hey, what are the plans in place to, to get there? Because I'm on board with that. I recognize we're not there yet. But I want to be part of that that journey. So that was a great question. Plus, it's twofold. You you demonstrate as a candidate did your homework. So one of your key values on your mission statement was was this. This one really aligns to me. How you know explain to me what that means to you. So yeah, that's an awesome question. Her mother one maybe. Why did the last three people leave? Mm. Right in your team, the hmm. last people that left the organization. What was their reason? Because that will give you some insight in terms of what's the driving force. What's the push? Right. Yeah. If if uh, the last three people left because they wanted advancement, and geez, this this company is we don't have a lot of opportunity for advancement because we're smaller. Right now, you have a strong sense. Of, okay, well, I am looking for advancement, or maybe yep. I'm not. This is either yep. a problem for me or it isn't. You aren't yeah. necessarily always going to get an answer to that one um, because, of course, people are worried. You you want to be careful with personnel answers, but. You don't know these people, right? So you, you might as well ask. The worst thing that they could say is, well, not at liberty to share, or to be honest, the HR team did the, uh, you know, accident interview. I'm, I'm not really sure. Or you could ask how long the average tenure is. That's another one that will give you some insight along the same uh, way. And I want to call out what is unspoken right now. People who are watching this or listening to it back think that's all well and good, but man, how is that going to impact my candidacy if I'm that direct with the hiring manager? Hey, tell me about you know, conflict on the team that you've dealt with and how'd you deal with it? Or what would your team say? You guys, you got to understand that this is just as much your opportunity to truly, truly vet that this is the direction you want to go just as much as they're interviewing you. And if they don't take it that way, then it's the wrong fit because any organization wants to make sure that whoever they're hiring wants to be there and is hopefully going to be there for the long term. I think the app, the stat recently, if I'm not mistaken, Adam, was it two and a half years, I think? 2.8 year, years for for folks between the ages of 25 and 34. And then it, it, it goes up a little bit by age, but yeah, it's, it's think three about years. Two, yeah, 2.8 years on average is the retention from somebody joining the company to leaving the company. Think about the time that you're investing in the interview process. Think about all the blood, sweat, and tears you're going to put forward to be successful in your job. Just like an organization, think about the, it's the thousands and thousands of dollars and hours and manpower that you're using to hire the person. So this is really important stuff that you can't overlook. And I think that if you've had experience in the past where you showed up to, to a 
company and it turns out that it wasn't what you thought, this is you know, the types of conversations you absolutely uh, need to incorporate moving forward. Um, I was going to say too, Mitch, it's fair play because seven out of 10 hiring managers are going to ask you, hey, tell me a time where as a regulatory person, you didn't get along with R&D or you didn't collaborate well and, and how did you overcome that? Or you had a team member, colleague or peer that you just didn't get along well with and how did you overcome that? Well, okay, well, here's my answer and then let me ask you the same. You know, So I think it's very much fair play. I also, I think psychologically, we are drawn to things that we might not be able to get, right? That are hard to get. And if a hiring manager senses that look, you're not desperate. You're not jumping in to, to take the job. You're really being critical of me and my leadership style, the organization, our values, how we operate. I think more often than not, that's going to increase their interest in you, not decrease. And maybe that seems counterintuitive because you are asking the tough questions, but I really believe that there's this sort of elite feeling that, wow, this person is you know, really being judgy. I hope they pick us, right? You turn the table around mm-hmm. uh, and suddenly everybody I think is on your side. So I, I wouldn't worry so much about um, giving the wrong impression by asking the right questions. It's to their best interest too, that you ask those questions and that you will land in the right place. As a recruiter, I have always said, my team needs to provide a realistic job preview including the bad and ugly, because the worst thing I could possibly do for any organization is hire somebody who washes out in six months. Uh, yeah. We're better off not filling the position for six yeah. months right. than having someone start paying all the money to train them, get them ramped up and having them walk out the door. Because I didn't mention that it's not lifting a hundred pounds once per day. It's lifting a hundred pounds a hundred times per day. And it's over your head, right? So you got to yep. be really specific about what that role is and what the day-to-day will look like. I think recruiters are generally pretty good about that, having just learned from the grind. Yeah. Hiring managers and interviewers, I, I think, tend to focus more on the selling points versus the, the bad and ugly. And that's why I think we've, we're giving you these questions to really tease that out. And I, that's a great point. I, even with culture, I think expectations are, are everything, right? As, as it is in a lot, of, a lot of things in life. Look, work-life balance is one of our key values. However, we have our very first 510K going out uh, Thanksgiving. So there's going to be 60, 70 hour weeks in the upcoming six, seven weeks, eight weeks, whatever that is. Just know that going in, that's not you know sustaining. That's not what we do here, but just know. And then you go in and you go, cool. Oh, I only worked 55 hours this week. I'm actually relieved. And, and I know that, hey, things are going to settle down. But for the next you know month, month and a half, I'm, we're going to be putting in a lot of work to get that 510K out. Great. I'm good to go. It's not like a bait and switch. I already knew going into it. One of the things that we do here at the firm after the initial interview and that there's a mutual interest is established before that panel or before it starts to get towards the file, we do something called, we term it verification validation sheet because it's kind of a play on the industry that we serve, right? And the whole premise of that is to vet out every single item that could make this a non, basically blow up the deal, Right. And at that point, the, the goal is to say to the candidate, this doesn't make sense. Why are we going forward? Or it says, you know what, this makes actually really good sense, but here's a couple of details we need to iron out so that the only thing left by the time you get to the end of the process is, was everything consistent from the initial uh, point to the end? And did you jive with the rest of the folks that you met, right? Yeah. And so 
when we have that conversation, we preface it. And I usually say, this conversation is going to seem fairly direct to you. I'm going to ask you some questions that probably seem way out in left field. But the reason is because I want to make sure that we flush out the entire picture and I put resources to where there's outstanding items to work on. You could do the exact same thing if you feel like you should preface it. I'm going to ask, I've prepared some direct questions, but please understand it's coming from a place of good intention because I really want to make sure this is going to be a great fit for you as much as it is for me. 100%. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Well said. Yeah. Adam, you had a list of other things like with uh, tactical items where people can do due diligence on the organization. What would you say to that? Yeah. So I think historically culture is by far the leader of, of what I want to vet out today in the last, really since October, but in the, gosh, in the last 18, let's call it the last three or four months. I haven't had a day where I don't have three or four conversations that involve RIF, financials, runway, mergers and acquisition, clearance, rounds of funding, whatever it is, some uncertainty of we're all on uncertain you know, footing. Big companies, large multi-billion dollar strategics to startups, to mid-sized companies and diagnostics and, and you know, soft tissue robotics, you name it. They're all hit. It would be easier to name companies that have not had a layoff, you know, since October in our in our world. Um, I think than to name the ones that have. So people are nervous it, it, whether they're going to another company. Well, I don't want to be the you know the the first in la- or last in first out at a, at a company that's going to go through a round of layoffs. I also don't want to be caught, le- you know, polishing the furniture on the Titanic, especially if we don't have a strong severance, you know, package or anything else. I don't want to be along with everyone else, like oh crap. Now I have to get a new job and then I don't have a job and I lose leverage there. So, I mean, I have these conversations all day, every day. And so I think having those conversations about, you know, can I get with the CFO? Can we add her or him to the interview panel? Can I review the financials? No one has a crystal ball, but do you have a plan for another round of layoffs in the next six or nine months? And they might not know, but if they have some indication or, you know, you can kind of uh, hopefully distill something from those conversations. And that should help give you confidence. Again, you know, big companies are going to be around in 50 years. That doesn't mean your specific position is safe. Let's not buy, be naive about that. But I think that's the one I hear the most. Nick, you know better than I do from a compliance and, and legality perspective. What can somebody ask and what can't they? And what would you as an employer provide and what can't you provide? Yeah, well, certainly they could ask any question they want. There's nothing to prevent them. But you're right. There's some things that a company can't share, uh, particularly companies that are sort of in that FDA review phase, right? The final clinical data has been sent off and and they're in what's called, oh gosh, now I've got a Mitch moment here from the beginning. Investigational use, right? Because you, you're very controlled from a company perspective in terms of what you can tell people. Even if you could tell people uh, what the actual truth is, you you simply don't know what an agency like the FDA is going to do or when they're going to do it. My last company, I, I was laid off. No one knew there was going to be a war in Ukraine, right? That completely right. changed the market. The IPO world dried up like a desert and no one could have possibly predicted that. I could have asked a thousand questions that would not have flushed that out. So the reality is you can ask all the right questions and still wind up in, in a bad spot. You can also go to a company where there's a high likelihood of uh, failure and, and wind up doing great, right? Your stock vests and it's worth a ton of money because they hit, you know, everything. So I think you have to understand what your own tolerance for risk is, first of all. And, and that depends on your life situations. Do you have kids? 
Do you have two incomes or one? Do you have a, are you house poor, as they say? Right. Um, and depend paycheck by paycheck, right? So those types of things to sort of figure out where am I best? But the reality is there's risk everywhere we go. Sure. Um, the good news is there's also opportunity everywhere we go. And so, you know, I had an overlap. I got laid off. Uh, I kind of wanted to take uh, the rest of the, of the year off to just travel and do fun stuff. That didn't happen. Uh, and I had a three-week overlap, right, where I was getting paid up my severance and getting paid for a new job. And so remember that being laid off doesn't only come with demise, panic, and sure. doom and gloom. It can come with some upside, too. Right. Yeah. The only other thing that I would add to what you guys said as far as, you know, uh, due diligence is if the company has recently gone through, received a warning letter or there's some sort of situation going on where a recall, for example, yeah, yeah. ask questions around that. Do your research yeah. as much as you can through what you can find online, but then ask direct questions. Hey, you, I understand you got a major outstanding war warning letter against X, Y, and Z. Can you share more context around that and kind of what's the action plan around that? What's being done? How would my role fit into that? Especially if it's centered around, you know, getting out from under it, but yeah. tackle those things head on because you're walking into it anyways. And what would an exit strategy, what would an exit look like for me in this role? If there is, I get, you're not going to tell me, hey, we're pre-IPO, we're looking at suitors as we speak and we might be, you know, acquired in the next 18 months. Okay, well, take the assumptive, you know, companies in your size in this space have, you know, a likelihood of being acquired. If so, what does that mean? And, and their answer might be telling to you, you know, it might not come true, but I think it will hopefully help you have confidence in your new leaders. And uh, yeah, at least they're going to be, hopefully, be as transparent and forthright with you as they, as they possibly can. I just add what is also the exit strategy of the company, right? So is your plan to go public? Is your mm. plan to be acquired? Is your plan to sell the product so you can reinvest in R&D? You know, what is the three to five year plan from a strategic perspective that the company is driving to. And again, yeah. company may not be at liberty to answer that uh, for a variety of different reasons. There's no reason you can't ask the question. And if you find out, okay, we're planning to go public, you know, we're going to go IPO and you can start doing some research in terms of what does an IPO look like in the life sciences these days? How is that yeah. trending? But I, I think understanding what the strategic plan is as far as that next three to five years is an important ingredient in terms of assessing risk. Okay. Absolutely. Good stuff, guys. Well, listen, Adam made mention of it earlier. We have uh, altered our time for this podcast, at least for the remainder of the summer and probably beyond. But we used to be on Wednesdays. Now we are officially on Thursdays, uh, 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern each week, all with a new topic on talent. Guys, I appreciate you being here. If you haven't heard of this show before, make sure to check out all the episodes uh, wherever you consume podcast content. You just uh, search the MedTech Talent Lab and you'll see almost, uh, I think, 82 episodes at this point. A variety of these live shows and a ton of different esteemed guests from the industry that I've had the opportunity to, to host. So uh, guys, thanks so much for being here for another great show. And uh, we'll catch you up next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.